Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. (laughs) Welcome to the last episode of season one. Woohoo! What did you learn? Well, Terry, it's been a long season. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say that? It's been a long season. Yeah, you can say it and I can second it because it was, there was a learning curve. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Well, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, the audience can't see us, obviously, because, you know, they're listening to us, but we're on Zoom. Fantastic. They can't see us, but boy, do we look good. We do. Got my sparkly earrings in. Oh, yes. But I'm thinking back to our very first episode that we did socially distanced in the... Oh my God. We rearranged that room to try to figure out what is wrong with this microphone. We turned them on. We turned them off. We <laughs> we rearranged. We moved. We got closer. We got farther. It was how many hours? It was a lot. <laughs> I think we had like five hours on our timesheet, and Carla was like, so. "You spent five hours doing a podcast." Yes, you weren't there. You didn't see us. The struggle was real, Carla. It was real. It was real. It wasn't. I think I even had to eat lunch because I got so hungry. I'm we like, both oh. did. Yes, we both did because we got so hungry because I had leftover uh, Harry and David's that Wesleyan had sent us as a thank you for something we collaborated with them on. So we were, you know, I was like, I didn't, I'm hungry. We, we didn't plan to eat. We didn't think it would take that long. So we were eating like little, little things, mm-hmm. little hors d'oeuvre things from Harry and David's. Mm-hmm. And just look at us now. Like we know, we're stars. We discovered technology. We know how to work it. We know how to be able to truly socially distance from across the city. Right. <laughs> But it is so good to see you again. I, I think back on our first season and, you know, what, what do they call that? Like when the ship gets launched, the maiden voyage? The maiden voyage, yes, when they smash the bottle of champagne against the side to christen the ship. Yeah, our maiden voyage and podcasting, I think it's been phenomenal. I was a little seasick at the beginning, but I'm much better now. Yeah. Well, you know, the title of our episode is hilarious. You know, what the fuck? <laughs> and we can say that because we have explicit warning on our podcast. Yes. yes. Um, and it was very much like at the beginning, especially when mm-hmm. I was doing my first editing. It, it really was for me because I'm a little technophobic um, or a lot technophobic. And so it was kind of a lot of what the actual fuck I've gotten myself into. Cause I don't, I'm, you know, and I ended up having to record some episodes, you know, 
or one episode three or four times because I kept forgetting at home to turn my phone completely down or my dog would bark or I'm like, I'm never help, help me. So yes, there's a reason that we titled this, this episode, <laughs> what we did. Well, you know, and I think back like, cause I've done most, well, actually I've done a few at the office, but I've done most of my podcasts at home and I'll always mm -hmm. say, you might hear a dog barking. You might hear UPS delivering a package, a door knock. You know, the house phone could ring. You know, anything's possible. Well, maybe I should have said that instead of recording the daggone thing four times to have perfect silence in the background. I think <laughs> one of my podcasts, you can clearly hear Kiwi barking in the background. <laughs> but, man, I'm just so excited that we get to come together for our season finale talk about our highlights what we learned and then oh, our favorite we got some good current events for Owensboro yes, Kentucky like a perfect storm or a Bermuda Triangle of them in the press this week and so and too I'm excited you know from a selfish point of view that because my episodes I was so nervous at the beginning my episodes were much more rigid I think than I would have liked and I don't think my personality was able to come out as much because I was wanting to have them kind of be set out and and organized and and I want you know I'm, I'm happy to just kind of relax for this episode and talk a little bit more or a lot more off the cuff instead of of having something so so red so regimented that i wanted to to get it right the first episodes that i did so we can yeah. we can chill if only you know i really was like on a beach with my feet propped up with a drink in my hand oh yeah that would be even more relaxing but i'll take it i'll take it oh maybe maybe we can write a po for carla and julie to do season two episode one at the beach and like really be at the beach do you think yes. it would work i think i 100 <laughs> think that voca would pay for that i think <laughs> say it's a conference okay it's all in the wording it's all how you word it jennifer Love it. so yes i think that a conference uh perhaps in the bahamas it's international conference we can consult Ooh. with international partners there and learn how um things are done other in other countries oh i love that what's Let's... the protocol what's the law enforcement like down there hey what are your therapeutic resources down here in nassau mm -hmm. um, oh yeah it's I'm sold. Of only two people, you and me, but it's a conference. We can call it whatever we want. Oh man! And we would so get. I mean, yes. Oh, all kidding aside, I mean, I, I, wouldn't that be great? You know, this was 20 years ago um, when I worked for the state and DCBS. Um, there were some people who went internationally to like Ireland, and they went and stopped at the local quote dcbs for ireland and they got to write that off their taxes as a work wow. expenditure so we might well, be able to finagle start in the bahamas and then we can expand and we can take our show on the road like literally and we can just travel the world with our message of empowerment and trauma-informed responses and overcoming trauma 
Love it. Start by listening. Brought to you by Terry and Jennifer <laughs> in the Bahamas. <laughs> Next stop, uh, uh, Italy. Oh, yes. Then on to uh, uh, Germany. Germany. <laughs> and then the Madagascar. And then... New Zealand. And then New Zealand. They have the best candy. I'm telling you. My my husband had this um, box around the world of like. Well, we get that. My daughter and I get it. Um, the one that we get is, um, is oh, shoot, what it's. Uh, I can't think of the name either. I but see the box. It's a blue box. Yep. Yep. He had the and same. Yums. Um and he got his... I cannot he, think of the name. He got two a month because he went for the, the top tier of the yeah. subscription. And so, of course, being a good wife, I'm going to be right there with him sampling. Well, yeah, you got to support him. I have to tell you, out of all of the countries over... This was over a three-year period. Three years. Out of all the countries, my favorite was New Zealand. And I said, based on their candy, if we ever have to move out of the United States, we will move to New Zealand because they have the best candy. And so that was just purely determined by candy. Hmm. Well, the ones we've gotten so far, we've gotten, they've all been Western Europe so far. Mm -hmm. We've had Germany, which was good. We've had Italy, which was good, except the truffle potato chips they sent us from Italy were inedibly bad. They were, like, gaggingly bad. They were terrible. Um, but uh, everything else was good. Um, Try shrimp-flavored candy from Japan. Mm. No, thank you. <laughs> Our dogs wouldn't even eat that. They were like, That's no. <laughs> Well, see, but I think, too, you all had your subscription before the pandemic, and I think mm, with supply mm -hmm. chains and restrictions and all that, you know, I think we're what we're getting is um, very restricted so far to Western Europe because I think it's easier to get here. And we oh, yeah. had other Western European, Spain, we had Spain. Um, so we've had Spain, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So they're all clustered in Western Europe, but we'd, we'd like to have some Asian treats. We'd <laughs> like to have, you know, um, New Zealand and Australian treats. and. Oh, yeah, because we did this seven years ago. So this was way oh, before the yeah. pandemic. And uh, I have to tell you, I mean, I liked things from every single country because it was so different and different flavors and all of and that. Textures, universal yes. Yums. Universal yums. Yep. There you go. But that shrimp flavored candy, that was a hard pass. And uh, the best chocolate that we had, this is going to be probably surprising, but it came from Canada, um, followed by Switzerland, mm -hmm. followed by the Netherlands. I feel like we might have gotten something from Switzerland, but I'm really surprised yet not at the same time that the candies are not quite as sweet. The chocolate is not quite as sweet. The the snacks, like the savory stuff, the chips and mm -hmm. stuff, they are much more like fried in sunflower oil and healthier oils um, mm -hmm. than our stuff here. 
Um, it's just a whole different, like, you know, they advertise and their, their little mascots, those little pictures they have, like it's, you know, like a little monkey with a banana is on a pack of something for, and it, why, you know, that we don't, we don't get the cultural references. Um, then we got from, dang it, where was it? Germany, maybe? I can't remember. It was just, it was not an Asian country, but it was this stick thing, like a, like a savory treat in the form of a stick, kind of like a Kit Kat sort of, except bigger. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't sweet, but it was that stick form. And it was not Asian from an Asian country, but it was Germany. It was wasabi flavored treat. Like, why, why would it be in a stick form? Mm -hmm. And why would it be from Germany? I don't know. So it's, it's a mystery. It's so much fun. It's like Christmas every month when we get our little box. Yeah. And we through it or sample it, not eating every bite, but we sample it like it's Christmas morning. Mm -hmm. And then um, we use the little guide they give us. It's got the map in it and it's got little simple recipes in it and then we do the trivia in it and it's just the other cultures it's just it's like christmas day mm -hmm. on the day that we get that yums box um, <laughs> and we actually have uh, some friends in the czech republic and we did that once um, a couple of years ago where just privately we swapped a bo big box of snacks like that and the czech snacks were very similar because they're in Central Europe where, um, you know, everything's, you know, it's chocolate, but it's not the same as here. It's much milder and the, yeah, like the sweets, some of them were much more, like there was a weird hard candy that we got. It was something like rose water and mm. lemon or, mm. you know, um, some sort of edible flower mm -hmm. the the oil from that other than a rose mixed with something like these highfalutin like fancy cool European things. <laughs> but anyway we digress we do but anyway back back on topic <laughs> but it's been a season um oh yes you know something that really stands out in my mind on creating and building this podcast and learning I think about all of the hours that have gone into just learning about podcasts mm -hmm. researching about podcasts um meeting with Rodney you know our captain um the research for each um, episode that I did, you know, wanted to make sure, like, there's so much to talk about, but really picking out those nuggets. And trying to squish it all down because the, you know, the field we work in, you know, whether it's the prevention side or the response side or the, you know, if it's the victim survivor part or the legal part, I mean, there's, it's just so massive and trying to take one topic. Yeah you know, and pluck it out 
and then try to squish that down into 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30, you know, a short amount of time. It's really hard. It is hard. Understandable and accessible to people. Like you don't want to dumb it down, but you don't want to be at the PhD level. Like, and you want to find that middle ground. Like, how am I going to do this? Was there, was yeah really something and I say something that I've learned that I'm going to implement is you know while we're on summer break and I'm actually going to kind of plan out those three months for season two instead of I felt like I was chasing my tail like most months trying to find time in between seeing clients in between the professional groups I'm a part of in between work um uh, accountability responsibilities, you know, finding that creative time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm definitely going to use this summer to, to figure all that out for my season two. Um, so that's something I learned to, to integrate, you know, more little sound effects or music, and guests, yeah. you know, to, to, to change it up. I didn't do any of that this season. I was just really trying to do any, not do anything, but just kind of I need to master this first before I kind of, the basic, before I expand it out. I tell you one thing, though, speaking about international stuff in other countries, you know, I was shocked to see how many people from other countries had downloaded this. Oh, yes. They're actually listening to at least a little bit of it instead of just downloading it and never listening to it. But even if they're just downloading it, I was shocked. Like the reach, like this little tiny podcast from, you know, little Owensboro, like is being downloaded across the world. I was shocked. That blew my mind too when we got those um, statistics. Was it for for Julie or for Carla? Something for all the uh, FOCA, maybe. Julie, it was for the program stats. I was like, wow! Like people in India. That's a world did away. I, did I tell you the story about um, how my daughter was such a a doubter? Yes, you did. Yes. And she's like, who's going to listen to? Start by listening. She said, oh, well, it was better than that. The the way she put it it was way more specific. And I said, well, I need something. I said something about the podcast at home. And she said, well, of course, she's 16. Mm -hmm. And so you have to imagine this in your head, like the facial expression, the eye rolling, the slight sigh you know you just kind of have to picture Mm -hmm. a 16 year old saying well you all have a podcast (laughs) I said said, well yeah a lot of places and agencies like uh, you know New Beginnings have a podcast well who listens to this and I said I'll have you know a lot of people listen to this and we've had a lot of downloads well, well, how many in the teens, like the dozens of downloads? And I said, no, I'll have you know, it's in the hundreds. And she, you know, rightfully so, or whatever, looked shocked. And I said, yeah, we have, we've had more than just the teens. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had hundreds of downloads. I thought she was, you know, in her head, I think she thought we had like 25. You know. <laughs> 32 or something like no we've had over 300 well you know that just blew my 
mind too, just the number and then the geographical yeah. range was well, shocking to me. You know, when I was on, to be fair to her. yeah, when I was on our podcasting host side and that very first, our inaugural episode and, you know, it automatically goes to Apple for, you know, iPhones and podcasts, et cetera. But then it was like, you can sign up for this, this, and this. And I was like, I, I didn't do <laughs> Disclaimer, I did not do any research on that um, that podcasting platform, like where it's located, or I didn't yeah, do anything. No, no, I just no. said, sure, sure, sure. I do, have to, I do have to, and I think, you know, we ought to give a big shout out to Audacity and uh, Blueberry. Yes. However you say that, Blueberry and audacity because they're very user-friendly overall i mean i was a total novice still know what i was doing and they really do make it as easy as it can be yeah at this point for a beginner to just pick up and power on through the hard way you know to learn how to do this so well and i'm excited to um bring rodney back into our studio and air quotes <laughs> And we need to name the studio. You know how studios have names like they like a sponsor. Oh, yeah. It could be the Rodney Newton Studio, or yes. the Newton Studio, or the something something Studio, because a lot of times radio stations will say, "We're coming to." There's a local one that says they're mm -hmm. coming to. We're coming to you from, ladies and gentlemen. We're coming to you from the Roads and Roads Studio. Because they've sponsored it. Yes, uh, we definitely need to do that because there are so many more bells and whistles to Audacity. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, like this, when we had this concept and this idea, this was way before the pandemic ever happened. And like I wanted, and I still do, and I think I might this this fall as restrictions get lifted, you know. But I do, I want to take it to the street. I have questions. I want to, yeah. I want to ask yeah. our community members and I want to ask our healthcare providers and our mental health providers in the community. I want to talk to the religious provider. You know, I've got so many ideas and then COVID happened and it was mm -hmm. kind of like. Now what? Yeah. Everything ground to a halt. I mean, COVID, what the fuck? Eggs, thank you. Yes. What the fuck, COVID? Thanks but, for nothing. Or um, maybe a lot, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, you know, it certainly ground everything to a halt. And we've had to really revisit, you know, was this thing, whatever, not the podcast per se, but mm -hmm. was this thing that I wanted to do really that important? Or if it was that important, we're going to figure out a way to get it done. Um, so the pandemic sucks, but like anything, I think there's some kind of silver lining. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's allowed yes, creativity to, a to large blossom. Extent, what the fuck, COVID? My God, cut us, yeah. cut us some slack. We're done, you know, with this. Please, can we get to some sort of herd immunity or can we get to a point where if we can achieve that, can, can we just kind of keep on making progress so that we can keep open? It's been, I know it's, it's something to live through history. It has been. And, you know, like my season, I kind of focused on different therapy modalities um, and different ways of processing trauma. And, you know, 
every human being in this world has collectively experienced a horrific trauma over the last year and a half. And (laughs) let me silence that, put it on do not disturb. There we go. See, I got a thing about turning phones off. It's okay. Um, And when I think back to how my nervous system has responded over the last year and how hard I've worked to try to um, get to a more calm, socially engaged place. And I think one of my favorite um, episodes that I did was when I spoke with some of the other New Beginnings therapists and we did a collective. It was the last one I just did. Oh, I loved it. It was just, we were connected through Zoom, Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, dang, I really wish we had had the opportunity because in my mind, what I wanted to happen was to be sitting in in our studio, you know, with several microphones and just Mm -hmm. really vibing and feeling that energy. And I I have hopes that in the next year that that will, you know, happen. But that, that was a highlight for me was that episode where I got to just uh, be in the beautiful presence of some amazing clinicians. And uh, I think collectively I'd said on that one, there was like collectively 70 years of, of wisdom and 70 years of knowledge, you know, on that episode. And that's phenomenal. I loved that one. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, I think it makes it, I think having things like that, you know, from the therapist make therapy, it takes it down off of this pedestal or this ivory tower that people feel like is Mm -hmm. unattainable or these people that are therapists are godlike and unattainable and have all the answers at every minute. Yes, there's the 70 years of, of incredible experience and wisdom and practice, which is fantastic. And that's what people need. But I think sometimes people get intimidated by therapist Mm -hmm. and by, you know, of course, just the subject and the experiences themselves are hard to face. But I think just seeing people have fun and answer questions and talk to each, it just makes, it humanizes it and it normalizes therapy. And so I think it's makes it more likely that somebody's going to say if they see that, you know, or hear it, that they're like, okay, these are real people who know what they're doing. They're warm, they're fun, they're funny, and I'm going to give it a try. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. But that, yeah, that was, that was a big highlight for me. Um, and then I think another big highlight that I experienced is just the fact that we actually pulled it off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just, that's what I was going to say. I was sitting here thinking I didn't have a highlight other than I did it because I was so nervous about it, um, not from the speaking perspective. Like, I mean, clearly, you know, I can talk and I can, I like to talk and I like to teach people. And, but it was the whole technical thing. I was so nervous about it. And I just felt that I had to be so rigid and prepared. Okay, I gotta do this. And so I'm just glad that I did it. And if anybody got any benefit even if it was a millisecond of Mm -hmm. something useful or helpful 
then my part was a success because I was just white knuckling through it. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember the first time like I was editing on audacity mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I have to be very careful because what if I accidentally cut out like a word or mm-hmm. a phrase? And so, I mean, those first couple of episodes, like I was like listening to them several times. <laughs> yeah. like, ah! <laughs> you know, and I, and I, and it was good practice. It was stressful for, for me, but, you know, I kind of had that same sort of, <clears throat> this is new, I don't want to fuck it up, hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but then it was also good to, to realize that, okay, if I don't, if I do mess something up, or it's not absolutely perfect, or whatever, this laptop that I'm recording it on, it's not going to explode. You know, no one's going to be hurt. It's mm-hmm. okay. So I had to kind of practice a little bit of what I preach with crisis counseling with clients in terms of like cognitive distortions and stress. Like, okay, I got to reframe this. You know, if something goes wrong, it's okay. Yes. Uh, I can redo it or I can, um, we can edit it or we can switch it or change it. Or So I had to kind of stop with some of the black and white thinking and chill mm-hmm. the heck out. Oh, and that was hard for me to do because I, I want it to be perfect and I want people to get some inf- good information. But, you know, I'm like, I cannot stress myself out like this. I, too, had to let go of this expectation that I had at the beginning, especially when we couldn't get the microphones to work. I'm like, <laughs> And we're when, over in the kitchen, like we've moved it, not the kitchen, but the, well, yeah, the kitchen slash conference room. Like, I'm surprised that we, you know, because it had been so many hours that, you know, we were, I was, I can't speak for you. I was a little bit close to kind of cowering in the corner, twitching, you know, like, how are we going to do this? I don't think we just make it stop. You're like Johnny Shellshock in the corner, like, yeah. We can't do it, but then we did get, you know, like, okay, chill in my head. I'm like, chill out. Yes. This is going to get done. And it's okay. And it did. And (laughs) and when I let go of that expectation and actually sitting in my office, I haven't even unboxed it yet, is our new sound mixer that the microphones will plug into and work and it'll be all good, you know. And so I think what I'm excited about for next season is that the sound quality will be much improved, you know, oh, I hope so. That was, yeah, yeah that's because there's so many podcasts, you know, that, that are so, so good in this world, you know, that I listen to the few true crime ones that I listen to, they just sound so good. And I want us to be yeah. striving toward not perfection, but that, that sense of excellence. Yeah, so I want, there's aren't like, they sound like they're in a daggone tin can. Yeah. I want my voice to be buttery. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> As Terry leans in. Welcome to Start by Believing. Start by Listening. Why do I do that? I'm sorry to start by believing people. Welcome to Start by Listening. <laughs> by New Beginnings. We're in the Rodney Newton Studios. You know, yeah, I do. I want it to sound velvety and buttery and like we, you know, we got some swag. Hell yeah, girl. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm trying to think of 
what else I learned on this journey of becoming a podcaster and a podcast host? Um, how so I think I learned some flexibility due to um, the topic content, due to environmental, um, mm -hmm. where it's being recorded. Um, and I like that. I like that flexibility. And that helps me to stay grounded. And that helps me to just go, okay. Well, and I think for me, I learned flexibility, but I think I learned even more uh, painful embracing of vulnerability because it had been a long time since I had done something so brand new where I felt so far out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And if it, it felt really naked, almost like, I, I don't think I can do this. Or what if, like we said, what if we mess something up? Or what if people don't like this or that? Or so it felt really, I felt very vulnerable because I'm used to in my job being in total control of my schedule, mm -hmm. total control over, you know, explaining the legal advocacy, um, aspects to clients and making sure that I have, you know, the court dates, their court dates on my calendar and giving them their updates and that it's right. Because if I don't give them the appropriate information uh, at the right time, it can cause tremendous damage. If I tell them, hey, you know, this court hearing, blah, 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 and it doesn't happen or it happened, you know, so I feel like I, in my job, there's a tremendous amount for accuracy mm -hmm. and control uh, much like if you know i'm i would imagine you feel as a therapist you know mm -hmm. if if your therapy can intervention you know if you feel like that's not going right or something you, we don't want to cause harm we don't want to re-traumatize people so i think in my job <clears throat> there's a need for accuracy and control and then as a single mom um there that gets reinforced or it play they play off of each other and so it had been a long time since I had been the one that needed help or to ask questions like Jennifer, you know, I need what or Rodney help, you know, mm -hmm. and it felt very, very uncomfortable for a long time. And so it, it, it was good for me, but those growing pains are always so painful because it feels so raw yeah. and it sounds so silly. Like it was a podcast. I mean, like, what is wrong with you, Terry? You know, it was a podcast. Why'd you get so stressed about it? Um, because I want to do a good job and I want to change the culture and I yeah. want to try to prevent some stuff and, and give people information. So I want to do a good job. And, and of course, being part of a team, um, you know, working with you, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to let you down. I don't want myself to, so it was very sort of that Brene Brown level of, oh, God, this is vulnerability. Yeah. You know, not on the personal level, not something at home or whatever, but professionally, like, I feel naked, like I can't. How am I going to do this? And it, it sounds sort of small or whatever, and I don't mean it to be, but it, it that's what I got out of it. Um, mm -hmm. I think mostly was another 
climbing another little mountain of vulnerability that I can, I open myself up to learning something new that was unknown that is, you know, out in the world now. Like, there it is, folks. Here's what I recorded. Like it or lump it, you know. <laughs> you know, I had this thought at the very beginning when we started our journey. Gosh, it was in the fall of uh, 2019, I think, if I think back, like we started. What is time, Jennifer? What is time? It's all a blur at this point, but (laughs) right, I think, because we were writing, I guess, the new grant, and I think we built in money for that or something anyway. Yeah, and, you know, when I think back to that and all of the the love that we poured into it, the learning. Um, and here's here's what I kept telling myself because I've been doing a lot of reading up on dementia and Alzheimer's. That's like a new fresh topic for me. My ADHD brain loves it when I get new topics to, to just dive down the rabbit hole. But as I was learning and when I hit something that was really hard to to understand about the podcast or the, you know, the electronic that I just said, I would say to myself, Jennifer, You're learning something brand new and you are one step closer to preventing Alzheimer's or dementia within yourself. Like that's, that's what I go to. Like every time I can learn something new, you know, that is prevention. Um, Yeah. yeah, So that's what, that's kind of my little, my little thing for me, you know, that I was Mm -hmm. doing. And that really helped me to, to tackle uh-huh. Um, that like mountain and to say, okay, so while this seems so overwhelming in this moment, I'm also doing something really good for my brain, you know? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing something good for my brain. Oh yeah. My brain loves this. <laughs> yeah, so that's something I used. <laughs> well, you know, whatever it takes, you know, it, it, to get through, you know, at those, those, growth times which sounds so cliche and like well the times of growth and you know we're gonna leverage the new task to create a new paradigm I mean it it, I don't mean it to sound hokey or anything like Mm -hmm. that but it's it's true when you do something new you know if you allow yourself to do that it can feel really bad for a while until you figure out like you said some kind of mantra or way that you can power power through it yeah but I will say this I could not imagine doing this journey of of into the new frontier of podcasting (laughs) I couldn't imagine with anyone else but you Terry oh thank you I feel the same way it's been (laughs) it's been so much fun to get to know you better and we I mean we know each other well anyway as Mm co-workers we've worked together for years but just on a different level, in a different way, um, doing a different thing. It's been it's been so much fun, and and I think that the flexibility that both of us, you know, already had, but you know, expanded has been good. Because it doing something new in a pandemic would be no fun if you're trying to if your partner is not flexible Mm -hmm. or super stressed or you know so we're just like we we're gonna roll with it and see you know how we do this you know together so it's been great you know to to walk through this 
this first season, you know, right next to you. It's been fun. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that something, um, and then I'll, this is my last thing about one of the highlights. This is actually before the podcast. Remember when I said, Hey, Terry, you're in the office today. I'm in the office today. Let's do a quick little promotional video to get yes. people ready. Remember that, <laughs> that little yes. eye movie. Okay. So that is, that was one of my funnest things that we did. Like I had so much fun putting that together, taking our pictures, having people help us take pictures. I loved it. And oh, I want to, awesome. I want to do that for a season two kickoff. Yes. Are you season down? Two. Oh, of course I am. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah. And it could be like season, you know, start by listening season two, the revenge or oh, yeah. the, uh, I don't Ooh, know. I like you gotta that. You got to think of something, you know, yeah. some kind of cheesy 80s season two you know better than ever or I don't know something funny I love it I'm there I'm there <laughs> oh well any other final thoughts or words on season highlights for you or things you've learned no gosh I feel like we've we've talked about it a lot I, I mean that was really what I felt was you know in a nutshell I felt vulnerable and intimidated and then I hacked my way through it you know with a machete and white knuckled it and came out on the other side and you did a beautiful job <laughs> as did you my friend well thank you um you know but when we were kind of preparing for this our, our season um final season episode you know we came up with our kind of our format and we had talked about current events, you know, we're going to include that today and talk about that. But before we get to like maybe global current events, I mean, just here in our community, what the fuck? And the, and the last, what, two weeks? Oh my God. And you, because yes. you are a news hound. I am not a news hound. But I so appreciate when you send me things on Messenger. I mean, I, I do because I, I well, purposely do not watch the news. But I'm just going to I'm going to turn this part of it over to you because you well, have the knowledge. I Let's mean, tell I'm, people what the hell is going on in our community. Well, this week, really just because today's Thursday. So since Monday, so in four days, these last four days have been a for real. What the fuck y'all is going on? in terms of a like a glut of news stories just this week um and so it's important i think to talk about how just because how can i say this i think it's important to say that there's not always an, a, a news glut mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. and that this news glut this week, this like a whole bunch of these stories locally and statewide is not, it doesn't mean that more things are happening. It means that things got reported on this week um, for a yes. change in some yes. ways. We need more and more and more accurate trauma-informed coverage of things like this 
that use the right kind of language so that people know if if people if things if everything that happened in terms of sexual harm were reported in real time mm -hmm. there would be there would have to be its own channel for every town every country every little podunk city every big city and mm -hmm. it would be running 24 7 nonstop mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. So it can kind of be misleading, I think, when we get some of the, the news stories like, oh, my gosh, this town is going to hell in a handbasket. What's going on? Uh, this stuff is happening all the time. It's just that due to confidentiality and privacy, you know, uh, many people can't discuss it. Professionals can't discuss it. Um, many survivors um don't want to discuss it and make things like this public there's a lot of reasons we don't hear stuff like this in the news or as frequently as it's occurring mm -hmm. or in sort of a cluster like this um so just yeah that's my preface to our discussion about this it's just important to realize that in a way, this is a good thing to hear about this more frequently because it opens the public's eyes to how often this is happening and these things um, are getting reported and that it is important for them to be covered appropriately mm -hmm. in the news, maintaining confidentiality and privacy, particularly for kids, but at the same time, accurately and responsibly reporting the incidents of yeah. what's going on. So. So anyway, um, that was a long introduction, but this week, since Monday, there are four news stories that have come out. Three of them have come out um, in Owensboro, and one of them has come out in regard to something that happened in Louisville. And so three of these stories I read on WFIE's website, I believe, and and I think the Owensboro Times covered yeah. them or shared them as well. They did. I saw various some highlights on, on Facebook. Various news yeah. sources that are authoritative. You know, I, I saw them via online news. So the first one, and these are not really in any like certain order, but the first one, um, the first story, first local story was a former basketball coach mm -hmm. from one of the colleges here in Owensboro was just arrested for rape. I don't think this person is currently coaching or at least not locally coaching, but has this tie to a local college here in Owensboro and is from the, the geographical region, mm -hmm. kind of the tri-state area originally. And so this person has a uh, you know a history as a coach you have you have authority over someone you know you're a coach there's that power differential mm -hmm. um, i don't know anything about the the victim survivor in this particular situation but this person the, the alleged perpetrator has been um has been in positions of power mm -hmm. for a long time which is is not unusual. Um, I don't know if the the victim survivor was a subordinate of this mm -hmm. person or more of a peer. I don't know. 
Um, so that's, that's the first local example was uh, a yeah. former local coach um, recently arrested in the tri-state area for rape. The second story that I read was in regard to a man who was arrested and incarcerated locally for, I think the article said, driving around Owensboro and picking up victims at night and taking um, female victims to isolated locations um, and sexually assaulting them. And so that that's an example of, and well, and the first example was too, um, and the third example will be too, to a certain degree, that in all of these examples that I'm going to give, it's not really a true, true stranger, so to speak, jumping out of the bushes. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, now the picking up somebody like this article about the, the man driving around in the truck asking if women would like a ride and then taking them to the wherever isolated location, um, and sexually assaulting them. Mm-hmm in the vehicle, you know, that's the closest to Mm -hmm. a a true stranger. Um, Mm -hmm. But there may have been, you know, I don't know, like the timeline or anything like that about how well or how long they talked um, before the assault occurred. So there may have been sort of an establishment Mm -hmm. of a, not a relationship, but getting to know each other, you know, for a few minutes before this guy did whatever he did. Um, but as far as like, like somebody jumping out of the bushes, raping or sexually assaulting and then running away is kind of the stereotype. Yes. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. Usually on some level that survivor knows that perpetrator at least a short time. Um, if not years and years and years. Um, so, so that, that was the second one was someone driving around at night asking, uh, people if they'd like a ride and then driving around and then driving to some isolated place and then sexually assaulting them. Um, and then the third local story that I read about this week was a man who traveled from Missouri into Owensboro and for the purposes of meeting with slash sexually assaulting um, a child in, mm. I think the article said in a local motel. Oh and goodness. so the child had made contact at some point. Um, the article said social media. I don't know if it was Instagram or mm-hmm. through like an Xbox or what the platform was, but it was social media driven. Um, and evidently, relationship was was created and perpetuated by this this man and then like they set up a time to meet etc etc drive in he drives in from Missouri and the next thing you know this article happens in the paper or comes out in the paper about this man traveling from out of state Um, and then the last story was from Louisville I saw it just this after, or the, just this morning, about um, a 
victim survivor in the emergency room at one of the Louisville hospitals and the nurses feeling like something just wasn't right with the situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and feeling like this is giving us red flags that this is human trafficking, um, mm-hmm. sex trafficking in some way. And so they literally looked up the person, the, the victim, the patient's name on Google and found numerous articles and I think a Facebook profile, or not profile, but Facebook articles and things about how this patient slash survivor was missing. And it turned out to be a trafficking situation that these nurses just listened to their intuition and said something's not right. We're going to look her up Um, or him. I'm not really sure what the situation was. Um, Female survivor, I think. But so that's three stories. You know, a former local, local collegiate coach arrested for rape, a man driving around, um, picking up women Mm -hmm. late at night and driving them somewhere and sexually assaulting them. A man driving from Missouri to meet a child here that he'd met on social media for sex, Mm -hmm. sexual abuse. And then the trafficking survivor ending up in the ER in Louisville and the nurses feeling weird about it and connecting some dots and, and saving that, that person. So it's just this cluster um, just in four days, just since Monday, I think, is when I saw these articles. You know, that's just amazing, you know, because Owensboro is considered small, small town, rural. Um, And to think that three of those took place here, and that's Mm -hmm. just the tip of the iceberg. It's like you said, if people truly understood and knew of how many incidents happen every single day, you know? And I think, think too, if people really understood what the data is telling us, not just like the um, the uniform crime reports and the total number of reports Mm -hmm. and the total number of clients that we see and those kind of numbers Mm -hmm. of the the reports made and the services received, but also what the data is telling us at this point in terms of false reporting or the flip side, the high percentage of truth in reporting. So when we hear these news stories, about this survivor and that survivor and this situation and that situation, understanding that mm-hmm. there's a myth in our culture that people or kids frequently fabricate or lie about mm-hmm. sexual harm in these reports. And the data is, is not bearing that out. The best mm-hmm. that we can quantify at this point um, through national and international, you know, data analysis um, is that about 90% of reports are true. Mm-hmm. And that's my sources, the, the FBI. Um, I'm not making it up. I'm not, you know, like, hey, yeah. that's just so down the street told me this. According to the FBI, the, the rate of truth in reporting is roughly 90%. Mm-hmm. So people like any crime do, um, uh, you know, fabricate things, you know, 
some people will say that their car was stolen and it wasn't really stolen. Some people will say yeah. such and so broke into my house and that's not true. Some people might say, you know, my hundred bucks was stolen. Some people might say, you know, such and so sexually harmed me and it's not true. So false reports do occur across the spectrum mm-hmm. of crime because humans are human. Im- human. Sometimes somebody might be psychologically unstable or want to, you know, get revenge on someone or have some other motivation for mm-hmm. uh, filing a false report of some sort. So that does occur um, even in the the realm of sex crimes, but it's not the massive avalanche of false reports that, that yeah. many of us assume it is. And you know, researchers as well as places like the FBI um, say that the data is telling us at this point that out of every hundred, so, you know, like a, a rate of 100%, out of every hundred reports, mm-hmm. about 90 of them are, are true. Mm-hmm. And about 10 of them are fabricated and false reports. And yeah. so I think that's something that is important to discuss and talk about when we're talking about um, anything in regard to sexual harm, but especially, you know, trying to, to undo a rape culture that has a lot of myths in it. And one of those myths is there's a lot of false reports. And when we hear these news stories, yes, a lot of times the stories about the, the false reports get huge excuse me, get huge, huge press. And we certainly don't want anybody to be accused, let alone convicted of something they did not do. Um, However, there's not necessarily the same coverage about the massive amount of true reports Mm -hmm. and coverage about what the data is telling us about the truth in reporting. So when we hear things like um, you know, a local story like, uh, let me pick one, um, the social media one, the kid, mm-hmm. the man who traveled to Missouri from Missouri to meet the kid here. Many people, many of us would make a gut, re- a gut assumption or have a gut reaction and say, well, what did this kid do? You know, if this kid is old enough and they're 14 years old or 15 years old, well, they're old enough to knew, to know, you know, what they did. They're probably mm-hmm. just, you know went to the hospital wanting attention if they went to the hospital. I don't know if they went to the hospital or if they went to the their teacher and said this mm-hmm. or their parent and said this. Oh, they're just wanting to get, they're just looking for attention to do this and that, you know. Um, and so I think we make assumptions yes. that things aren't true or that such and so has a history of lying. That's another big one too is such and so look, they lie about their homework. They lie about, um, you know, being drunk or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've got a history of lying. She's known for lying. Well, he's just lied about other stuff in school. And I just don't think this is true. And so yeah. we make a lot of these assumptions still instead of starting by believing. And if evidence leads to that's fabricated, then that's where it leads but it's important when we hear these news stories um, to start from the perspective of believing it because it's therapeutic to believe. Mm-hmm. 
it creates a more a safer culture to mm-hmm. start by believing um, and we know that the data is telling us that there's a lot of truth in reporting you know yeah so it's so that's that's a overview of the last four days of some local and state news that have come out and the reason that we need to kind of start by believing or the reason that we need to check and monitor our own internal biases and our own gut reactions Mm -hmm. and our own assumptions because a lot of times unless you know the data you work in the field or you talk with that particular victim survivor or their family you don't know the truth Absolutely. And, you know, I think so many people are so entrenched in victim blaming and they don't even understand or realize that what their thoughts mm-hmm. and words are, are truly victim blaming. Um, to, to a certain, to a large, greater or lesser mm-hmm. extent, I think it is hard for us as humans to believe that these things happen. Mm-hmm. And that they happen in the volume that they happen. So, you know, I don't want to hate on everybody because a lot of this is sort of a natural defense mechanism that we all have. And sure, we know that it's the nearest and dearest that's harming us sexually. It's rarely the stranger. So therefore, it's natural that many of us would have the denial Mm-hmm. And the victim blaming as a defense mechanism, because the alternative mm-hmm. to think that your mother, your sister, your mm-hmm. teacher, your coach, somebody you've loved and known your whole life or for a long time, it's way easier to say, yeah. what did this victim do? What did the survivor do than to believe that someone that we cherish or mm-hmm. respect or assume wouldn't do this it's way easier to blame that person or to not believe it at all um but we've got to get out of it because you're right it's very very entrenched and it's doing nothing but continuing to perpetuate a culture in which these things are more likely to happen yeah people aren't believed people may not get the help they need and it you're right that's a really good word to use is entrenched you know, and over the last five years since I've been with, you know, our amazing agency, I've done lots of education in the community, lots of education on social media, lots of education, you know, in my personal life with family and friends. And, you know, I, I consider that like planting seeds, you know, mm-hmm. of just changing instead of saying, what did you do? Right. Changing that to, wow, what happened to you? Right. What happened in this situation or what happened to you? Um, you know, as far, you know, like if you hear a news story, like the, the coach mm-hmm. is charged with rape, instead of automatically thinking, well, this person must be wanting to get revenge or what did they do to make this report or what did they mm-hmm. do to bring it on mm-hmm. if, if they, if someone believes this really happened to say, okay, <laughs> what happened in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if a survivor is, is, is acting in a way, whether it's in a public way or a more private way within a family, you know, acting in a way that seems counterintuitive or odd or extreme, like you said, to think about what happened 
to that person versus mm-hmm. why are you doing that? Because sometimes people don't report sexual assault or sometimes people act very sexually after sexual abuse and it's counterintuitive for a lot of people. Yeah. Why, why, if it was, or another one is having post abuse or post assault contact with their perpetrator is the Mm -hmm. norm. It's not the exception to the rule, but many Mm -hmm. people assume, well, if it was so bad, you would run screaming away from the other person. Not if it's your mom and you love her, Mm -hmm. but she's abusing you and it's very confusing. And so then we get a lot of the victim blaming sometimes. Well, you went right back and, you know, you stayed with your mom and you didn't tell anybody Mm -hmm. that it happened. If it was Mm -hmm. that bad, it couldn't have been abuse, could it? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about too, because I work with parents of kiddos all the time. And, you know, many parents, they, they don't understand why is my kid acting in this way? Why, why does my kid have these behaviors? And so I try to explain just to begin with that, you know, where our forehead is, that's where our part of our brain is called the prefrontal cortex. And this is the part of the brain that is not fully developed, fully matured until age 25. So that's the first thing. And so you know, this is where our emotions stem from. This is where our impulsivity, our behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. And so I try to explain and normalize that children, teenagers, they don't have the ability to really express themselves verbally, perhaps the way adults can. Um, and adults do. And so it's really important to begin to look at those behaviors and kind of kind of like be a detective. Like, okay, what is my child trying to tell me? What are they going through? What is happening in their lives that's leading to yeah, to see it as sort of a, a mystery of verbal and nonverbal communication mm-hmm. within this greater context of trauma to try to decode rather than seeing it. And I think rather than seeing behavior as something to outright punish, mm-hmm. to see it as, okay, the behavior, this kid is trying to tell me something. And sometimes the kids they don't know outright they can't tell you or sometimes they don't even know themselves yes what they're trying to say but it's leaking out through their behavior and their impaired boundaries and their lack of impulse control and everything at the brain level and i think in the broader context even bigger than trauma within trauma Mm -hmm. um or not within, but beyond trauma mm-hmm. is the bigger culture of mental health yes. and behavioral health and understanding that we've got to be literate in this world about mm-hmm. the behavior, especially in children who have been traumatized, has to be looked at through a lens of being trauma-informed and behavior as like communication and behavior as a means to to get somewhere and sometimes the kids themselves you know the parent wants to ask the question why did you do that why do you keep doing that and the parent I would imagine that you do a lot of education through therapy with with the parents Mm -hmm. 
like your child doesn't know. Well, not only do they not know, but they can't even uh, before age 12 and sometimes even age 12 to 14, children cannot answer a why question. Right. Like, you like can't there, there's, there's, there's no way it's like you're talking to the wall to, try, yeah. because the child is a, is a little organism of feeling and a sponge of learning that's now been plunged into the ocean of trauma and they're trying to stay above water. Yeah, they're doing yeah. the best job they can, and they're they're you know, you know, and and parents rightly so are confused and they're hurt. So it's a traumatized parent, often with previous trauma. Mm-hmm. I would assume Jennifer in the in the in the parents that you're working with yeah. often often have untreated, unrecognized trauma. Now trying to help their traumatized child, and they're both almost drowning in this ocean. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, that leads to a really good point that I want to make is that a lot of times parents will bring their children to therapy and it's like, okay, fix, solve the problem. And really it's a family and it's a systemic issue. And in order for healing to really happen and be powerful, the family needs to be involved in therapy, you know, and as that parent, you need to be having a safe place to talk about what your fears are now that you yeah. are the now that you're parenting a child that's been sexually harmed you know what are your concerns um how do you begin to parent a child now not, that has yes, been sexually that's harmed that's what i was thinking is it's not just about the the parenting strategies and us mm-hmm. like okay well let's consider house rules and consequences mm-hmm. and uh, consistent follow through with the cons. It's not just that parenting, uh, the nuts and bolts of how to parent a child who has been traumatized sexually. It's also the parent to me needs, it's like the airplane example. Mm-hmm. You cannot put someone else's oxygen mask on in an airplane if you are gasping for air. You're yes. both going to be up a creek without a paddle the parent more often than not has Mm -hmm. unresolved sexual trauma domestic violence dating violence stalking all of that interpersonal stuff more often than not in my practice as a crisis intervention Mm -hmm. counselor not a therapist i seem way more often than not Mm -hmm. the parent has already been almost ready to drown in this ocean of unresolved trauma. They have no oxygen mask on or it's very Mm -hmm. broken and they are trying to pour themselves into their child's recovery, rightly so, because that's what a parent, that's what your instinct, my child needs help. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what part of that missing piece in mental health services, behavioral health, trauma, that whole thing is mom, dad, guardian we you are gasping for air Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to do your child justice in their Mm -hmm. recovery or for your own benefit if you don't get help yourself and that could be therapy it could be family systems work um you know it could be crisis intervention it could be 
um, legal education, if their case is in court, helping them understand and have that knowledge about what to expect and the support through it. Yep. Um, because at the risk of sounding more harsh than I want to, if, if, a, if a parent or guardian, you know, doesn't have that support that they need and deserve, and they're trying to help their child through it to a certain, mm -hmm. to a large degree, it becomes the blind leading the blind, mm -hmm. not intentionally, not, uh, but it's like if I have a broken leg and my child has a broken leg, mm -hmm. I can't get them help if I can't walk or yeah. if I'm bleeding or if yeah. I'm limping, I cannot get them over here to the doctor or the surgeon who can help them. And so there needs to be a shift in our mm -hmm. global understanding of mental and behavioral health, as well as unresolved trauma is, is it keeps everybody on this merry-go-round. And I think that yeah. you must see that as a therapist, like, because <laughs> I think the word you said was, Oh, I can't remember now. Something like intergenerational or systemic or it just keeps systemic, going around yeah. and around and around without there needs to be that intervention. Yeah. Well, and you know, now the research studies are showing that we have trauma in our DNA before we're ever even born. And we do have generational trauma from our parents' like lineage. Part. Yes, the from their parents. You know, and so when I think about just my own, my own family lineage, when I, the stories that I heard growing up mm -hmm. of the trauma that my parents endured, you know, and just, just, that's just the beginning. Let's not yes. even talk about the, the environmental trauma of my parents were born into the depression. Mm -hmm. So you have environmental trauma of not having enough to begin with. Then um, layer on to that, which many of us have this negative cognition of I'm not enough. I'm not good mm -hmm. enough. And then layer on to that um, environmental pollution, mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't even begin to think about. Like what? That's trauma. Yeah, it actually well, yes, is you, trauma. If you're growing up in Flint, Michigan, for example, and there's an the water supply is impacted. Yes. Or you're living in China or India, where the air quality may not be, or the United States. You know, anywhere. I'm just yes. trying to think of a variety of locations. Here in Kentucky, <clears throat> in eastern Kentucky, in Martin County, their water system is just as polluted as Flint, Michigan. Why am I not surprised? And it is a water system that was made to sustain, I think, between five and 12,000 people. And it's a water system that is trying to maintain and sustain over 30 to 50,000. So here in our backyard, here in our own communities, when we look at the level of arsenic that is in our water, you know, you can go to the EPA website, you can actually look up Davis County water, and you can see how many particles um, are above what's allowed. And so when we think about environmental pollution, 
that is trauma. Our bodies are experiencing trauma on a daily basis, not just for mental health things. Right. It's it's because trauma, and I think that's part of the broader mental health discussion, mental slash behavioral slash brain health discussion to be had is that, you know, we need to open up, I think, our understanding and parameters mm -hmm. of what is mental health, what mm -hmm. is trauma, what, you know, what is occurring at the nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. levels and how do those because they're inextricably linked I mean they're and how you know because and is there a synergistic effect mm -hmm. you know if a child has a predisposition to oh gosh um, pick a mental health issue it's schizophrenia and um, you know maybe it would be latent forever had they not experienced x mm -hmm. y and z trauma mm -hmm. And how yeah. do we address that? And how do we not blame people for it, yet mm -hmm. hold people accountable for their own behavior? Because, you know, you get to feel however you want about the traumas that you've experienced and endure, mm -hmm. but you don't get to do whatever you want. So mm -hmm. that's what prison is, or that's what jail is, or that's what mm -hmm. in-school suspension is, is some us trying to do some kind of consequence. Yes for a boundary violation that oftentimes comes out of the unresolved, untreated trauma that somebody experienced as a child. So it's this, what is that old saying? Like it's an enigma wrapped, it's a puzzle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. There's some mm -hmm. kind of example where it's a very complicated problem. Oh, it is. And, you know, so that's where I think I would like to see in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years of research on trauma, which trauma is a relatively new word in the last mm -hmm. 10 years. I remember in grad school, nobody said the word trauma. We said oh. people have people have mental health, people have issues, people have concerns. And I'm using air quotes. <laughs> Y'all can't see me. Yeah. I'm using air quotes. But let's 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 go beyond and let's look at trauma that is happening every single day that people don't even recognize as trauma. Poverty. That was just stuff you got through. Yes. That was just stuff you left behind. Yes. And my parents went through it too, and they turned out okay, so I'm going to do it too. I'm just going to power through it. I'm going to yes. man up, or I'm just going to pull up my, you know, big girl britches, and I'm going to yes. soldier on. And that's what it used to be. But all of that, you're exactly right. Um, Ableism. Was right, race, yeah. systemic racism. Um, oh, let's talk about trauma. nutrition. Um, the amount of, of, um, pesticides that is lightened in our food that we are internally eating, uh, it, it changes our cellular structure. Well, um, too, just looking at it from, from a science perspective too, understanding that a person in trauma has very real effects at the brain level yes and understanding in our culture i cannot will myself out of ptsd mm -mm. i cannot will myself out of having bipolar disorder i cannot mm -hmm. will myself out of having panic disorder whatever that mental or behavioral health issue is 
all of the willpower in the world cannot make you undo that. Now, are there healthy coping skills, mm -hmm. uh, appropriate medications, appropriate therapy and interventions? Yes, that, that those things mm -hmm. can require mm -hmm. some willpower to mm -hmm. use and, and, and keep using. But I think that part of this whole myth of the victim blaming um, part of that is mixed in with thinking that a child or even an adult, they can just knuckle down, buckle down mm -hmm. and power through it. And that would look, mm -mm. you know, this was in the past. You were 12 years old when this happened. This was so long ago. Can't you just get past it? Why are you acting this way? Yeah. If it was so bad, why do you have to, you know, why are you sleeping with everybody in school? Why do you have 50 different sexual partners? All of it, if we could take an old school film strip mm -hmm. and rewind it, the genesis of a lot of this, I think over time, there's going to be a lot of where we see, like you said, DNA changes that are linked to trauma or they turn on a gene to create mm -hmm. PTSD or whatever. So there's that nature part that research is going to show us more and more. But we're also, I think, research is going to show us the nature part where the trauma that we rewind the film strip. Mm -hmm. And it's the genesis is going to be in that trauma and how it's played out in nature and nurture. And without yeah. resolving, it's like trying to... We have so many clients, Jennifer, that we see that when we talk to them and we start educating them about trauma-informed responses, hey, you know, mm -hmm. you're not crazy for being hypervigilant or, you know, sexual reactivity really is a thing in people's behaviors mm -hmm. after trauma. And they're like, how come this is the first time I'm 50 years old or I'm mm -hmm. 75 or I'm... 15 this is nobody has ever told me yeah. this before so I think there's a cultural education component that we have to work on mm -hmm. to get rid of some of this victim blaming when we start see a child start seeing a child for example um masturbating in the classroom mm -hmm. their preschool classroom that should automatically be a red flag that that child has seen something or been sexually abused mm -hmm. and not see it as a straight up, hey, this kid's a tiny little pervert and needs to quit that and be punished out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there's just a massive amount of work to be done. And we've made progress. I mean, nobody talked about trauma 20 years ago. Yeah. Nobody talked about um, sexual abuse longer back than that you know so we've taught you know there's been improvements oh, yeah. but it's such a an entrenched problem like you said whether it's the victim blaming or the issues you know air quotes again who that come out of this unresolved trauma and you know kudos to you being a therapist because talk about a marathon oh yeah it, i swoop in as a crisis counselor from time to time you know doing crisis sessions on a very short-term basis trying to put band-aids on things like yeah. you know 
here's a coping skill. What's your social support? Do you need to see your doctor? How's your sleeping? And, you know, just these little small things like I'm the first aid person. Yeah. Yeah. And then I kind of, they kind of swoop out of my life. Um, now I will follow clients, of course, for the, the legal side of it, um, through the court system, which is long-term most of the time. But for you as a therapist, I mean, you could be working with somebody for a whole year before you really see, mm-hmm. bing, you know, like a light bulb go off or oh, yeah. some brain development to assist that kiddo with impulse control mm-hmm. or a family, like really, really start to get it as far as their, you know, unhealthy family boundaries or whatever. So kudos to you for for what you do because it, it takes so very long sometimes mm-hmm. to plant those seeds and see them like a little tiny sprout come up. It does, but it's well worth it. And oh, uh sure, sure. <laughs> and, you know, and we're coming to the close um of our final episode season one and so I think I would kind of like to to wrap up with uh, just like a final thought from each of us and so that we would want to leave with our audience Um, and so I think for me the final thought I would like to leave for our audience is to begin to see trauma and how it affects our bodies how it affects our soul how it affects our mental health and physical health as more than just violence. I I really want people to begin to open their awareness and begin to be curious about how nutrition, environmental pollution, um, racism, sexism, ableism, poverty. I really want people to begin to think about how all of those isms truly are the foundation of trauma and can very much impact an individual's physical and mental and spiritual well-being. And so that's my final thought of the season that I want to leave people with, along with that New Beginnings We're always here for our local community and we are a small but mighty organization. (laughs) Well said. My final thoughts are that prevention of sexual harm and trauma is largely possible to varying degrees. And that the intervention side's two sides to the same coin, right? We, we mm-hmm. want to prevent because New Beginnings has an entire half of our staff. That's their whole job is mm-hmm. educating to try to prevent. And it is possible to prevent some things from happening and to also interrupt that cycle if somebody has just enough knowledge to know that something is harmful or abusive mm-hmm. to say something to stop how long it could have occurred. Mm-hmm. So I want people to know that prevention and early intervention or early interruption of sexual harm, interpersonal violence mm-hmm. of all kinds and other types of trauma, barring something like a natural disaster that we don't have human control over is possible. And that 
if something on the on the response side, if something does happen in the way of sexual harm, the earlier the intervention, the better mm -hmm. the prognosis. But there is always hope. So the earlier somebody gets help, the better. But all is not completely lost if there's been, you know, time that's passed between the harm and the help. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want people to know that prevention is possible and very real and hope is possible and very real. And similar to, you know, a quote, unquote, physical illness, trauma is a physical illness. It's invisible. It affects your brain. We can't see it with the naked eye. But just like with a quote, unquote, physical illness, the earlier the intervention, the better the prognosis. So, you know, if I leave work today and I'm in a car wreck and I get a terrible burn and a uh, broken leg, why, if I go home, you know, and I try to fix that myself, chances are it's going to heal very poorly or not mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. But if I get the right intervention um, in a timely fashion, my prognosis and recovery is much better. And so sexual trauma functions very similarly. Um, mm -hmm. And so... The earlier the intervention, whether you're an adult or a child, when this happens, the better. But all is not lost. Mm -hmm. um, and so my take home for everyone listening is <clears throat> prevention and early interruption of harm is very possible. And hope is very, very real. Um, all you have to do is reach out to us and we will help. Yeah. Um, and so... I'd like to end, I guess, on that that positive note is that we've talked about a lot of myths, that it's an uphill battle. There's a lot of victim blaming still, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of trauma that we do to each other um, through sexual harm. And all of that is bad, but people can and do every single day mm -hmm. um, heal from this and integrate it into their lives and move on and be happy and healthy. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I hope that those of us who are out there listening, I hope you guys have enjoyed Terry and I today. And uh, I hope you stay tuned for our season two, which that will be coming out um, in August. That's when we're going to start season two and it's going to be a blast. So don't forget to like and don't forget to subscribe to start by listening. Yes, it's been a joy, and we've been so happy to have people listening, and we love our listeners, and stick with us, because you never know what we might say, what you might learn, and uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been great, so thanks to everybody. Yeah, see you guys next time. Bye. Well, we made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast. VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed 
in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.